0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders recorded at CNBC's live events. Today, a conversation about the psychology of saving and spending money with Professor Isha Sharma of the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth University. Her research revolves around consumer financial well-being and how psychology can be used to understand and improve it. She joined us at CNBC's personal finance event called The Path Forward, Your Money, on November 17, 2020. She spoke to my colleague Rahel Solomon. Here's their conversation.
1: So you study behavioral psychology, essentially why we do the things that we do. And I think it's safe to say that most people would like to spend more. But why does it feel so difficult for some? Why can't we just spend, save more?
2: Yeah, so there are a lot of reasons why saving money can be challenging for people. Some of those reasons relate to who people are as individuals. So one of the tendencies that uh, we've seen in research is the tightwad spendthrift tendency. And this really refers to what people get joy out of doing. There are some individuals who, when they receive money, they really get a lot of pleasure into you know, putting aside that money, saving every penny. And there are other individuals who get a lot of joy from spending. You know, as soon as you get a paycheck, thinking about all the things that you could spend your money on. So there's definitely a difference between individuals in terms of where you get your pleasure from putting aside money or, save it, or uh, spending money. And in addition to those, those differences, uh, in general, saving money isn't really a pleasurable activity compared to all of the joy that you could get from consumption. And so when you put aside money, it could feel like a loss. You feel like you're kind of depriving yourself from some consumption that you could enjoy. And so those are some of the reasons why that might happen. It's the difference between instant
1: gratification or delayed gratification and instant gratification. I mean, at least personally, almost always feels better to me. But, you know, Uh, so are are those differences hardwired, for example, or or are you just sort of conditioned differently? I mean, how do you what determines whether someone gets real pleasure from saving versus spending?
2: Yeah, so. Uh, Some research points to people's childhood environments and the conditions under which they were brought up. So some of those things can really be shaped by the environments that you're in, either in childhood or adulthood. But uh, what we found in some of the research that I've done is that when you want to save money, you have to feel like you actually have the ability to save, that you actually have spare money to put aside. And what I've seen is that Aside from your income and your assets and your material possessions, what really shapes how we feel about our money is perceptions that we have based on what you would like to consume, how much money you wish you had, and comparisons to your peers. So regardless of your income bracket, a lot of people may feel financially constrained. Even millionaires can feel financially constrained. And when you have that perception, it may become especially difficult to save. And some research i found, I've actually seen that when you think about ways to improve your financial situation, you're especially likely to think about ways to increase your earnings rather than thinking about ways that you could cut back or put aside money.
1: And Isha, to that point, I think there is a feeling amongst many that in order to save more, you just need to earn a little bit more. And so it's sort of put off. But how important is um, saving more aggressively versus earning more?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. And if you ask people, you know, how much money do I need to be financially secure? A lot of people will say, well, just a little bit more. And the danger there is that both are, are very important to improving your financial situation. And what people might not consider is that when you are finding ways to earn more money, they often come with costs, sometimes increased education or transportation, you know, work clothing. And there are a lot of ways that you could save that don't necessarily require cutting back on desired consumption. You might think about, you know, automatically renewing magazine subscriptions or apps on your iPhone. And there are a lot of different ways that you can think about saving that don't require sort of depriving yourself of what you want. So what I would say is that both of them are important, but one of them tends to be more overlooked than others. And perhaps part of the reason is that a lot of times when people think about saving, they think about saving a large amount of money or they think about saving for retirement. And that feels like something that may need to come later or, or could come later. But saving early and often is is never a bad thing if that's something that you can afford to do. And research has actually shown that if you think about savings in smaller increments, like saving $5 a day rather than a month, that can actually be a helpful way to sort of break that down into a smaller, more manageable piece for people.
1: Is it more effective to have a savings goal tied to savings? So instead of an abstract, I need to save more because financial gurus tell me to save more, or is it more effective to perhaps uh, have a savings goal tied to a specific goal. I want to own a home in five years. Um, I'd like to retire when I'm 50, et cetera, et cetera. Or is it just, you know, saving is saving is saving?
2: Yeah. So I would love to say that saving is saving is saving, but it really does help to have concrete, specific goals. Uh, so like you said, you know, this is my my the the pot of cash that I'm putting aside for a home, or this is a pot of cash that I'm putting aside even for you know, a nice dinner or a vacation, having something concrete and tangible will make it easier for you to put aside money. And another trick that you could think about doing is something called temptation bundling. So, you know, anytime I want to treat myself and watch The Queen's Gambit, I will, you know, make sure that I put aside money. Uh, Every time I transfer money um, consciously, I will, you know, treat myself to a milkshake, something like that.
1: Another part of the equation that we have to talk about when we're talking about saving is debt, right? So uh, one out of 11 people with credit card debt say that they feel like they'll never be able to get out of credit card debt. Um, And we do know, of course, that some people borrow out of basic necessity because maybe they've fallen on hard times. But uh, 32 percent of people say that discretionary spending is actually the number one reason for their credit card debt. So why is it that? we feel like when perhaps we can't pay in cash or it's not available on our checking account
2: that credit cards will do? Yeah, I think that's a really fascinating question. And it's one that my co-authors and I have been studying for many years. And one thing to note is that consumer borrowing is on the rise. And it seems like every day we're sort of flooded with all of these messages, with new credit card offers, with tempting rewards, and there are just so many ways for us to finance our discretionary purchases. And my co-authors and I were really interested in some of the factors that increase people's willingness to borrow. And what's really interesting about using borrowed money is that this is money that doesn't belong to you, right? This is money that you're going to have to repay at some point. But what we found is that consumers actually feel that borrowed money is like their own money. So instead of feeling like a loan or an obligation that they have to repay, some individuals truly feel that using borrowed money is like using their own cash. And what's really interesting about this is that money in the form of credit card tends to be higher in this perception, which we call psychological ownership of borrowed money. So when I use a credit card, psychologically it feels more like I'm using my own money than if I'm going to borrow using a loan, for example. And this can be particularly dangerous because borrowing using a credit card that tends to have higher interest rates and can mm-hmm. you know potentially lead to excessive borrowing and potentially uh, less concern about repaying if people think that this is like their own money.
1: Yeah. And I do, I do want to circle back to perhaps the the reason why we use credit cards for discretionary spending I've seen in some literature that you know it's um, it's a it's a search for happiness and aren't we all searching for happiness um, and, and so speak a little bit about the emotions tied whether consciously or unconsciously to spending this uh, you know on discretionary purposes or for possessions or even experiences really uh, on credit cards
2: when you don't have it um, readily available to you in your checking account sure so When you are deciding whether to borrow for a purchase, what you're doing is making a trade-off. You know, if you if you wanna buy an outdoor grill and you don't have the cash to do it, what you're gonna be thinking about is whether I can forego that consumption or whether that purchase is so desirable to me that I will borrow to make that purchase. And, you know, you're talking about the pleasure that you get from purchases what my co-owners and I have found is that people are actually more willing to go into debt for things that are more experiential in nature than things that are more material in nature. So for example, with the the outdoor grill example, uh, we ran a study where we had the same outdoor grill and we talked about it as your 4th of July grill. You know, Imagine what you're going to do with it and who's gonna be there. You're using this for a, a very specific event. Or we talked about it as a possession that you would own and have, ask people to think about where you would put it. And what we found is that that same possession was felt more attractive for people to borrow for when it was talked about as an experiential purchase. Now, what this mm-hmm. means is the more you think about you know, the, the people, the, the things that you're going to do, the more you conceptualize it as an event, it becomes more and more difficult to forego that consumption to, or even to delay it. So people may be mm-hmm. more willing to borrow to get that enjoyment from something that has been, you know, conceptualized in that manner. It feels less substitutable. It seems more unique.
1: And Isha, that's an, an interesting point about experiential um, purchases versus um, possessions, because we've even seen, I think, some retailers start to employ that to get consumers to buy into a brand. You're not buying a pair of leggings, for example. You're buying into an entire Lululemon brand, for example, or Nike, or or whatever it may be. Um, Let's talk about some specific concrete examples for people watching, although this has been very insightful. We want it to be practical as well. For people watching who
2: want to save more, um, where do you start? Sure. So. I think it's always a good idea to sort of think about your financial situation as a whole and to think about what you are able to save. And so if you are in a situation where you're able to save money, um, we talked about some of the things that might be useful, for example, you know, setting these concrete specific goals that you have for yourself or tying what your savings are to a specific purchase Another thing is breaking down those savings into a smaller, more manageable piece, such as $5 daily, rather than thinking about the big chunk of money that you have to put aside from your paycheck or a larger amount that you need to put aside per year. Another thing that has been really helpful for people is to sort of pre-commit to saving. So if you have your paycheck, you may immediately think about an expense that you want to pay for or something you want to do to treat yourself. Uh, if you pre-commit to saving, so, you know, automatically allocate a certain percentage of your paycheck to go to a savings account, that might be easier for you to do than if you're making a decision on the spot. These automated savings can also be really helpful. There are certain apps and, and even uh, rules that you can set up on your bank account that will automatically, uh, you know transfer certain amounts of money to a savings account, which can also be really helpful for people. There are
1: more ways to spend than ever, but there are also more ways to save than ever as well. Isha, we do have to wrap it up um, very shortly, but I I just wanted to ask one final question very quickly. You know, you hear uh, two different schools of thought from financial gurus about whether you should pay off all of your debt first before you save, or if you should at the very least have an emergency fund um, before you pay off your debt. Where do you stand on that?
2: Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting question, and what I would encourage consumers to do is to really think about the rate of return or the interest rates that they are are facing. Uh, In some very early works, my collaborators and I have been looking at how individuals may feel like they need to repay their debt before they could save or invest money. But a lot of times depending on you know your, your risk tolerance and things like that there are a lot of situations where you can actually make more money if you invest your money uh, you know for example if you expect a six or seven percent return on an investment and you know your mortgage payment or y- your, your mortgage has a three percent interest rate you may actually be better off putting aside some money or investing money rather than repaying that debt so I don't think there's a hard and fast rule about which one you should do uh, across the board. But I do think that considering your financial ability, as well as the interest rates and rate of returns that are available on these products, is a really useful thing to take into account when you're making that decision.
0: That was Dartmouth professor Isha Sharma speaking to my colleague Rahel Solomon at CNBC's The Path Forward Your Money event on November 17th, 2020. The keynote is produced by the CNBC Events team. For more information about upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, visit CNBCEvents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening.